Hello, listeners. I'm Brian. This is the Metaphysical Podcast. Just wanted to give everyone a heads up. At the beginning of this episode, Alexander and I got the giggles pretty badly. We tried to talk about some metaphysical questions. We ended up talking a little bit about coronavirus. Basically, it just got way out of hand. Uh, He left for a little bit, and I tried to do it solo. Pretty rough going. It's somewhat funny. Some people might not think so, so I wanted to give you guys a heads up. After all the laughing, I tell him a story, also a pretty funny story, probably funnier than all the other stuff that happens, but if you don't want to listen to all of that, if you just want to get into it, skip ahead to about 18 minutes, and that's where the discussion begins. Enjoy. if I should do an introduction yet or <laughs> might have to cut everything out I think we're good I think we're good welcome to the metaphysical podcast COVID-19 edition <laughs> we're not good we're not good <laughs> we're coming to you live from the bunker <laughs> Everything's shut down. Oh, man. Everything's falling oh, apart. Oh, oh, man, what are you doing? <laughs> oh, man. People need podcasts now more than ever. They need us now more than ever. We're here with our A game to get you through these trying times. <laughs> I can't do it. I can't do it. Um, yeah. Coronavirus is not going to be talked about anymore. The end. All right. Welcome to the Metaphysical Podcast, where we talk about metaphysical things. Coronavirus is too real. So we're going to move on. We're going to talk about metaphysical questions. Number one, is there anything that must be true of absolutely everything that exists? (laughs) So we already answered these questions. We already answered a couple of these questions. Alexander had some good answers. Some good answer for the first three questions. (laughs) Hang on, hang on, hang on. <laughs> oh, he's gone. Alexander left. Uh, good morning, dude. <laughs> Got dead air. Well, I'll just go over the first few questions that Alexander already answered. Is there anything that must be true of absolutely everything that exists? Existence. Boom. Next. Must anything that exists have intrinsic properties? Yep, it exists. Next. (laughs) 
you understand why the giggles are happening. What are properties? They are existence. And that's as far as we got. And we hit record and here we are. Chugging along. Trying to uh, make it through the pandemic. Not sure what we're going to talk about today. We might go over some more questions. Although the answer is probably going to be the same for all of them. It's just always going to be existence. Or f yeah. Yeah. Then we might talk about some conceptual ideas that I've been kind of trying to figure out. Trying to figure out the deal with uh, concrete reality versus abstract reality. Kind of a fun thing to delve into. But I don't know. Because Alexander's not here. So I can't ask him what he thinks. So instead, I'm going to describe what I see in my Zoom chat with Alexander. I see the top of a leather computer chair. Looks pretty comfy, pretty nice. I see what I believe is a dresser. And on that dresser, there is a lamp. It's an interesting lamp. Oh, no. Oh, okay. I see what it is. So there's a lamp that's not very interesting. And then behind it is a poster. And I think it might be a... I almost want to say a Bob Dylan poster. I'm not sure. It's like a silhouette of a face and then big, big flowing hair that's all multicolored and swirly. It's very psychotropic. And then on one of his walls, the opposite wall, there's a, looks like a sketch, just a pencil sketch of I want to say it's like a mother holding a child. It's the back of, I think, a woman with a long ponytail and then the head of a child on her shoulder. She's got like a big cape on, big swooping cape, and there's, there isn't really anything else in it. There's something on the ground in the sketch, but can't tell what it is. It looks like a circle. I don't know what the heck Alexander's doing. I'm gone for like 10 minutes. Well, shoot. Here's an interesting question. Why is there something rather than nothing? Great question. Well, that is a great question. It's a tough question. And I think a fairly popular one. There is something rather than nothing. Well, I can't really speak to the, the beginning of existence, what caused everything to come into being, but there does seem to be a correlation between existence and consciousness. So by nature, 
by nature of consciousness existing, there are other things that exist. I don't, it's not exactly a line of causation. It's more of just a... It's really just a true statement. I don't understand the principles behind it or how exactly it works, but that seems to be true. If consciousness exists, things must exist, and in order for things... In order for things to have any meaning, at least, in existence, there has to be something conscious that also exists. Until something conscious exists, any other object that exists has no meaning. There is no purpose of the object. Let's see what else we can take on. A pretty weak sauce answer, but what are you going to do? You don't have someone to bounce ideas off of because they run away. Let's see. These are some crazy questions. Here's one. Is change really possible? Yes. Next question. Can there be things that are in principle unobservable? <coughs> well, I have a couple different thoughts about that. I don't know what it means by... Oh, you're back. There you are. I've been. Oh, you can't hear me. Yet. I've been carrying on without you. Oh, have you? Yeah, so, I've just been answering so, metaphysical questions. Solo round. <laughs> nice. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, it was pretty brutal. <laughs> so, I did answer. I got one solid answer though. I'm curious what you think about this. So the question is, been, is change... <laughs> you've been recording this whole time? Yeah, I've been recording the whole time. All right, cool. The question is, is change really possible? Hmm. And the answer that I gave was yes. And then I also looked at the question. What was it? Something about, oh, can there be things that are in principle unobservable? Oh, why is there something rather than nothing? That was the other one that I got into. Why is there something rather than nothing? I basically said, I don't know. But there seems to be a correlation between the existence of things and the existence of consciousness. It's like we talked about in one of the earlier podcasts. In order for a thing that exists to be meaningful, there has to be consciousness that perceives it and interacts with it. So it doesn't answer the question, but I thought it was kind of interesting. Yeah. Um, I was just taking a dump. <laughs> well, I hope you're stocked up on toilet paper. Hashtag coronavirus.
<laughs> I thought we weren't mentioning it. <clears throat> we're not. We're not talking about it anymore. <laughs> um, we can still mention it. We're just not going to talk about it. <laughs> I was thinking about the first question, though. Because I think it comes back to that same principle. <laughs> oh my gosh, I can't do it. Let's not go back to the first question. Let's talk about your questions. Is change really possible? Sure. Is that the question you're talking about? Wait, what first question? Is there something that can be said to be true about absolutely everything that exists or whatever? Oh, right, right, right. Yeah, it exists. I already went over those for the listeners. <laughs> I went over the first the first three questions so that they would be caught up. Okay, okay. After you ran away. Okay, perfect. I don't know if we can get into these. <laughs> we're not we're not actually experienced enough to, <laughs> to talk about these. Are they really complicated? Some of them, yeah. I mean, they just, they take a lot of, <laughs> I mean, we could probably come up with answers, but they take a lot of thought. It's not something we can just, like, rattle off one by one, <laughs> unless the answer is existence. <laughs> Maybe we should just start with one and actually talk about it. Yikes. Not okay, trying, is there anything that is, is there anything that is not part of the spatiotemporal world? Mm-hmm. I think no. My answer is no. What do you think? Cool. Um, is there anything that's not part of the spatiotemporal? Well, I don't know what spatiotemporal world means. I have an idea of what it means. I'm not sure that it's exactly what they're talking about. I think it just means it is, space and time. Is there anything that exists outside of space and time? Right. Sounds right to me. Assuming that is what they mean, then no. Unless we agree. Shoot. How about what are numbers? That's actually a great segue into the other thing that I want to talk about. Coronavirus? We can skip all these bull crap. No. Oh my gosh. Let's just refer to it. Well let's just let's let's not talk about coronavirus. We'll just talk about Corona and we're talking about, you know, the beer, not the virus. Okay. Hashtag Corona. <laughs> this episode's brought to you by Corona. Got everyone on lockdown. Dude, I went to go, this is an interesting anecdote for the listener and for you, for us. Um, Our listeners so are dead, Brian. <laughs> Give it up. <laughs> give up on the listeners <laughs> they're all gone that's true we should we should make that assumption we have to assume that no one's around to listen to this anymore this is like post-apocalyptic <laughs> podcast we're gonna change the name speaking of which new name idea or like name adjustment idea mm -hmm. we could call the podcast ignoramus colon metaphysical podcast I like it. Sweet. All right, cool. Done. Yeah, we're just waiting on our designer, Darren, to design the tile image 
so that we can actually upload the podcast. <clears throat> it's another update for you. Cool. Once that's done, we can put them up. We have plenty of episodes. We can get them going. We're just waiting on that guy. And then there's someone else who's actually working on the song. We're going to have our own intro, outro song. Oh, nice. Yeah. Got all the con- That'd be cool. Got all the connections, man. Heck yeah, dude. People are people are rooting for this. They want it to succeed. But that was pre-corona. So now that everyone's all coroned up, who knows what's going to happen. But anywho, I went into this restaurant called Burger Fuel. I went, it's a local place in Indy. I went to go get a burger because I was really feeling it. And I walked in with Kendall and there was this person sitting on the bar stool. And as we walked in, he started yelling at us, hey, we got we got free Corona here. Corona for you guys. I assumed he was talking about the virus. But then he was like, Corona beers. Free Corona beers forever on Corona party. And we were like, oh, okay, that's weird. And then we went up and ordered our food. <laughs> and then I asked the lady, I was like, what's the deal with this guy? <laughs> And she's like, oh, yeah, he's he's super drunk. Like, we're we're probably going to kick him out soon. Kendall and I are like, oh, dang. Like, has he been here a while? She's like, yeah. We probably can't kick him out, though, because he's the owner. <laughs> oh, shoot. Okay. She's like, yeah, the economy is really bad, so he's just really drunk <laughs> and hanging out in the restaurant. Because they weren't, they weren't letting people eat in the restaurant. It was only takeout. A lot of the restaurants are doing that now. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so he's just, like, yelling at everyone that came in, having a corona party. He was having his own corona party of one. Oh, that's pretty just funny, man. Being crazy. Yeah. <laughs> wow. But yeah, that was my story. As far as, what was the other question that led into it? What are numbers? That's the question. They're numbers. What are numbers? Um, I don't know. I do. Okay. Or at least I have an idea about it. And that's going to segue into this whole, this whole topic. This whole, uh, I actually mentioned it to the listeners while you were taking care of business, while you were dropping the kids off at the pool. I was talking about this, this new conceptual idea that I've been trying to suss out. It's not really a new conceptual idea. It's like a, a different way for me to conceptualize things. So I'll segue into it with this numbers crap. What are numbers? So... <laughs> So numbers essentially are abstract representations of reality. I think that's a a pretty accurate way of looking at them. And either way, it's a useful way of looking at them. So you think of numbers as something that it's like an abstract concept that's used in order to interact with the world. Maybe that's a better way of saying it. So we have these idea of what numbers represent and Based on that structure, we're able to determine things that 
are happening and also things that will happen in the future, which is pretty significant. Like it's pretty obvious that numbers have a very real impact on individuals and also the way that life as a whole exists nowadays. And so with that, this concept, this way of conceptualizing the world that I've been, that I've been thinking about is basically to divide the world up into concrete reality and abstract reality as two different things that have different principles surrounding them and the way that people interact with them. So the concrete reality is pretty much what it sounds like and what you think of. Like there's a, there's a laptop that we're talking on that's a concrete reality made up of concrete things that cause this to happen. And then you have the abstract reality or things like numbers or words, since we write stuff. Words are things that everyone agrees upon have meaning. You could even break it down to letters. Everyone agrees that these things have, you know, everyone has a relatively similar understanding of what they mean. And then you can put the letters into an order that create words. You can put the words in an order that create sentences. And you can see, especially in things like poetry and literature, although you can also see it in other kinds of fiction or nonfiction writing, how it has an actual impact on the person that sees or and understands the words. And that's pretty significant. Like you have an abstract idea that is causing physical changes to happen in your mind while you're interacting with it. And then that can potentially change the way that you think, changes the way that you act. It, it causes this whole chain reaction of things that, that manifest in concrete reality. But it's, you interact with those things differently though. Because there's like the physically written word, and then there's the abstract idea of the word that you understand when you see or say it. And the abstract portion of it, it's a lot harder to understand and to articulate why that part is important. And this potentially leads into a whole other rant I could go into about the school system, but I'm not going to go into that right now. But I'll touch on a small part of it which is that I think part of the issue that schools have, or maybe just teachers, probably both, have with teaching uh, things in the humanities is that they deal with abstractions. And abstractions are difficult to teach unless you have a really, really firm understanding of them, which is hard to get because they're abstract. So, like with writing, for instance, I think I've talked to you about this off the air. Um, I've never had a writing instructor who has talked about why it's important to read or to write other than fairly brief and flippant comments about, oh, like you will learn things. You'll be a better writer. But it's not why is writing itself important. Yeah, it's always like, why is reading? It's always like, you'll have to write and read no matter what job you get. So that's why you have to learn it. Even if (laughs) somebody tell me a job that you don't have to read and write for. Uh, garbage man. Even a garbage man has to know how to read and write. How is he going to read addresses and then find them? <laughs> right. It's always that dumb conversation. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm sure everyone, everyone who studies English has had that conversation. And probably most of the people who haven't have also had it. But I think there's a real answer. There's an actual answer to why those things are important. And they're a little bit different for each one, but 
there's a, a basic line that runs through the abstraction. And the simplest way to say it is that people interact with abstraction. It is an important part of life. There's no question in that when you understand that numbers are an abstraction. That's probably the biggest one. Like mathematics plays a role. That's another thing that students always hear, probably in high school. Math is in everything. Well, that's true. Math is in everything. Math is also an abstract. Like math is almost the bridge because you can see it so clearly how it impacts daily life. Like math is used to construct every building that you're inside of right now. Or if you're in the wilderness uh, battling Corona beers, then, you know, maybe it's, maybe it's a harder, it's harder to determine why math is important to you. But even that you could think that it's like measuring distances, you measure distances, even if you don't put an actual number to it, you're doing that with math and you can put actual numbers to it in order to, if you're going to construct some kind of hideout. So if you're in the wilderness right now, listening to this podcast, trying to avoid Corona or the devastation that has come after it, post-apocalyptic world, hashtag 2020, then uh, you're going to want to use math to build your, your superstructure to hide out in. Brief PSA. Anyway, back to what you're saying. Um, <laughs> right. Abstractions clearly play a role in human existence. And you can see it in a lot more ways than math. You can see it in, like, meaning. People want to understand why their life is meaningful. And the way that you do that is in dealing with the abstract part of existence. It's not the physical part of existence. And when you understand, that's why I'm trying to like separate these two out. I feel like that's the, that's the most beneficial conceptual way to interact with the world is to separate out those two things and then to interact with them differently. So when you interact with the abstract world, try to start with an example. We can do poetry since we're both into poetry. When you read a work of poetry, there are a lot of technical things that you look at. You look at, you know, different uh, different poetic strategies that they're using as far as if they're using metaphors and similes or other imagery or, you know, where the line breaks are coming in. You can look at the words more specifically and the sounds that they have and the rhythm that they create. And all of those things kind of seem to compile into the abstract impact that it has on the person that reads it and this is this this gets into another thing in the english department i'll mention it briefly i haven't i don't think i've had a professor that has talked about why poetry objectively why some poems are objectively valuable or more valuable than other poems people the people in the english department that i'm with the people who are also studying english alongside me have this idea that poetry is almost entirely subjective and it's just nonsense. It's, it's crap. That's a terrible idea and it's wrong. And the reason that it's wrong, I think is explained by this, this idea of the abstract within the poem. So you read a poem and maybe you can't understand exactly what the poet was trying to write, but that almost doesn't even matter for this, this idea that I'm talking about. If you can read the poem and within it, extract something that is true about existence 
then the poem has that, like that's an abstract meaning within the poem that can actually affect the way that you think and the way that you feel, which in turn leads to how you, it affects the way that you interact with life. So that's how I personally have like looked at determining which poems are more valuable than other poems. It's which poems have the most valuable comments on existence. Well, here's the thing. Aren't those aren't those poetic figures like rhythm and um whatever wordplay metaphors maybe not metaphors but some of those poetic figures are concrete they're not abstract right like if you're reading a poem that goes da 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 that's a concrete thing it's like so i would say that the the thing itself is physical but and that's why that's part of the reason i think poetry is so cool is cuz i think it intertwines the two so like the rhythm is physical but then you interact the rhythm with the words and it it's like the physical rhythm affects the abstract impact that it has on the person reading it does that make sense but isn't the impact concrete <laughs> well the reason the reason i say that it would be um that it would be abstract is because there's not really I mean, it's not, first of all, it's not just the rhythm itself. Like someone could tap a rhythm onto you. And like the tapping isn't doing anything. But there seems to be something about the rhythm. And then especially when it's combined with certain words and other sounds that makes people feel a certain way. Music is another place. Music is probably a more relatable one for people. Like you listen to certain music and you can... Like multiple people will have the same experience as far as what emotions the music is evoking in them. Right. And so what I'm saying is that those emotions, that's a concrete response. In my mind, an emotional response to a poem or music is a concrete response. The abstract response would be what your mind understands from the meaning of the words. I think I get what you're saying. But I agree that I think poetry does... For I agree that what poetry... What makes poetry special as an art form, or maybe not special, I don't know, but but is how it balances that line between the... It takes what's abstract what's most abstract and arbitrary about words like how they sound right and mm -hmm. turns it into a concrete kind of effect right like okay i get what you're saying yeah like so maybe the <clears throat> sorry i was gonna say the one of the important things that i should have mentioned earlier is that i think the that concrete reality and abstract reality, both of them are physical. 
because everything that exists in some sense is physical. Like, that's a whole other thing that we could go into. Like, thoughts are physical things that happen. By nature of existing, it has to be physical. Add that so, to the, an idea... Add that to the list of answers to question one. <laughs> yeah, there you go. I'm just going to inadvertently answer all these questions. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, like... In order for something to exist, it has to be physical. We don't. It doesn't. It doesn't seem that people can, like, are able to perceive all of the ways that things can be physical. It's like you can't see an idea, and you can't, you can't like put a box around it. But by nature of an idea existing, according to the laws of physics as we know them, it has to be a physical entity, which is insane to think about. You talk about the collective unconscious. All these ideas, you're just shooting them off out into the ether. Maybe they do all combine and then people just collect from Who knows? Who knows, man? But anyway, yeah, so even the abstract things are physical. So it's, and it's, it's, a, it's an idea of how to conceptualize it. So there's definitely, I don't have a perfect idea of how to separate the two. So maybe rhythm would be more, more of a, physical or more of a concrete thing but the part that gets me is like there's there doesn't seem to be an explanation for why rhythm affects the way that someone feels i mean i'm sure that there that's the thing even with all the abstract things there is an explanation for it but it's really difficult to understand the explanations for abstract things it's like it deals with some some scientific process that we just aren't aware of yet Well, I'm not sure I'm getting what the distinction is between abstract and concrete if it's not physicality. Because, like, it can both be physical things, I guess, if we're being, if we're being nitpicky, <laughs> that it counts, that an idea counts as physical because it exists somehow no i don't think ideas are physical i don't i don't see how that's possible like are numbers physical going back to numbers are numbers physical things like the idea of numbers this is this is based on like i've heard physicists talk about ideas well physicists they, they are physical crap That is true, but then you're on the other, like, what are ideas then? That's a pretty big question. Abstractions. So you want to just totally separate out the two? Well, why would, how would an idea be a physical thing? See, that's, I don't understand it. It just, well, I guess one of two things is true. Either the way that we understand the physical world is correct, and therefore, in order to exist, something has to be physical. Therefore, since ideas exist, they are physical. Which means that we just don't understand what physical components make up ideas. Or, the other possibility is, our understanding of the physical world is not correct, or is incomplete in a specific way that affects this area. And so, non-physical things can exist, and we just don't understand why. So either of those things can be true. 
Well, we've talked in the past about how, and this speaks to question one as well, but like, I mean, it comes down to what you mean by existence, right? Because a rock doesn't exist, in this, even though it's a physical thing, it doesn't exist in the same way that a human mind exists. What do you mean? Well, like what we were talking about, about things. <sighs> like the question of, of if something... Can a rock be said to exist if there's no consciousness there to apprehend it? I think yes. I'm not sure. I'm not sure. But... But something else... I'm like, not sure either. <laughs> <laughs> it's just my, my intuitive answer, yeah. Is yes, something could exist even if... I don't think... Because that was something we talked about. I don't think meaning can exist if a conscious being doesn't exist. I think those two things have to go hand in hand. But... I don't know about just existing. Well, what about... So then what about an idea? Can an idea exist if there's no consciousness to apprehend it? If it's a physical thing, you'd have to say yes. So if we say, yes, a rock can exist even if no mind, even if no consciousness exists to see it, can an idea exist if there's no mind to think it? And that's a pretty hard thing to wrap your head around. How would an, how or where would yeah. an idea exist if there weren't consciousness? Right. I guess it de it might depend on how you think about ideas. Like what it, well, we're going to get far down the rabbit hole. Because this is like, if you, like, is a brain a prerequisite for an idea? That's one question. Because if it, it seems to be a prerequisite for complex ideas, I don't think. I think it would be hard to dispute that. But you think, like, do plants have ideas? Do I, does anything that's living have an idea? Maybe even if it can't actually come up with new ideas, is there an idea within it that causes it to act the way that it does? I'm not convinced by that. I'm pretty sold on what you're saying. Because that was a really good point. Yeah, would ideas exist? Let me think, though. But then you think about... Maybe certain things have to exist as a prerequisite for other things existing. 
So an idea might be further down the line. Like maybe, <clears throat> maybe, well, yeah, you could break it down. I was going to say human beings, but maybe even just living things have to exist for ideas to exist. So something physical about the way that living things exist, something about that includes the components that create ideas. So ideas, so in that, in that view, ideas still exist in a physical way. They're just dependent on the existence of other physical things. Right. Like the rock exists because certain atoms exist and they bond together in certain ways that cause the rock to exist the way that it does. So it would be that on a bigger scale for, in order for ideas to exist, a living being with consciousness or some level of consciousness has to exist and something physical about that person has the components that create ideas, like that allows ideas to be formed. Okay, I can see that as a possibility too. But then... But then what's, what's the distinction between abstract and concrete? It's a good question. I've been, I've been saying that it's basically just, basically I've been saying, I don't know, but I, but I, uh, I can tell when I interact with it, like because of the way that you interact with it, you can tell which camp it falls into, which is a pretty lame explanation. But I don't, I don't know if I know enough to come up with a better one. I'd have to think about that one for a while. But yeah, like, I don't know. Yeah, that is a tough one. Because yeah, like you said, emotions are physical things and they're understood to a certain degree. Like it's a series of chemical reactions within your brain certain neurotransmitters get released and they cause you to feel a certain way. But even that gets slippery pretty quickly. It goes into, like, what is a person? <laughs> what causes a person to be the way that they are? Are they, just a, are they just a collection of cells? Or is there a spirit involved, a soul, or something, something of that likelihood? Something of that likeness. <laughs> Not likelihood. Because that was another thing that I've heard physicists talk about is like if if a soul exists, then it also has to be physical. But like I said, either that's true and we just don't understand how to perceive those things, like ideas or spirits, if they exist, or we don't understand the non-physical things that exist. Well, I agree that a soul has to be physical, but what the heck? But ideas don't. But, I, you, but ideas are different things. I don't know. I'm, I have, I'm having a hard. I'm having a hard time with that because. Or like, if we go to emotions. The emotion of love is a physical experience. Like it's something, like you were just saying, it's like a series of chemical reactions, whatever, right? Right. But. 
but it's also an abstract idea. So you, you can feel love, but you can also think about love. And both of those have different effects and different... They're different things, really. The, the emotion of love is different from the idea of love, or different from thinking about the feeling of love. Yeah. And... So to me, the concrete is the experience of love. Anything you can feel, see, touch, smell, hear, taste, that's concrete. But something that you purely come at with the mind is abstract like thinking about love what is love and you're saying maybe don't hurt me don't hurt me <laughs> so so basically you're you're talking about the mind as an entity separate or different from the brain i didn't i wasn't i wasn't meaning to no i don't think so oh because the chemical processes that occur occur within the brain that cause you to feel that way. The feeling also occurs in the brain. And maybe the mind also occurs in, in the brain or is part of the brain. But see, that's that almost seems more or that seems like uh, evidence to me that there like that there is a difference between mind and brain. Like that would also fall into this this bifurcation of reality that I'm trying to parse out. You have a brain that perceives the concrete world, and then you have a mind that deals with the abstract world. Yeah, maybe that's true. Maybe maybe there's a distinction there of some kind. And maybe the maybe really the only uh, or the big dividing line Maybe the abstractions are just ideas. Maybe that's all that it is. Maybe I'm just talking about ideas. There's ideas and then the physical world. Or ideas and then the concrete world. It's all very complicated. It's like, it's like, well that, sorry, keep going. No, you go. I'm going to go down a... Okay, well, I was going to say... If you have, I was going to say, yeah. like, going back to numbers. Um, so, like, the number one... Oneness is an abstract thing. Oneness. There, there being only one of something. That's an abstract idea that you can think about. Right. And there's concrete instantiations of that. Like, there's one bottle. Yeah. But... So I... Mm -hmm. But that doesn't make oneness concrete, right? Right. I would say that it's applying the abstraction to the physical world, or to the concrete world. Right. So then... I keep separating... I keep clarifying that, just in case the abstract is also physical. 
just to placate placate the physicists a little bit. We'll call it concrete just so it's a little bit different, which of course is an abstraction because I'm using a different word that means the same thing to talk about something different and everyone will understand that. <laughs> mind. Mind is crazy. <laughs> um, but, then, but then in another way, the number one... The number one is concrete, isn't it? How so? Well, I'm just thinking like, it, maybe this is just the same thing. Like this is applying the abstract, abstraction to the physical world. Yeah, it would be. Like if you were to write down the number one, then that instance, that would be another instantiation, just like one bottle. Right. So then, yeah, the. Go ahead. I was just gonna say that yeah, the line, the line number one, is just a symbol to represent the abstract idea. Right. So that you can communicate it. Which then leads to words. Which are a little bit more complex, I feel like than numbers. Maybe. Because so because a word, numbers. Numbers are. When we talk about numbers, we use symbols to represent an abstraction. Words are symbols that can represent an abstraction or a concrete thing. Right? In a way, numbers well, I would say the, I would say they're the same as numbers. Like words are all abstractions that can be that are applied to physical things. But the, it's the correlation between the abstraction and the physical or the concrete thing is much more clear with words, with some words. But then even like in language, you have things that are called abstract nouns because they don't apply directly to a concrete thing. They, they are abstractions that apply to abstractions. Right. That's what I mean is that numbers are always abstractions that apply to abstractions, whereas words are sometimes abstractions that apply to concrete things. So like the difference between one just represents the abstract idea of oneness. Whereas and love just abstracts abstract <laughs> abstracts represents the abstract idea of, of love. Whereas tree represents the concrete reality of a of a of a thing, a real. Right. Yeah. But then but then at the same time all of those things. Gosh, dang it. Because it's more complicated than that. Because the word tree isn't just an abstraction. Because it's a sound that I'm making. And a sound is a concrete thing. So when I say tree, that's concrete. But its relationship to the thing that it's talking about, the actual concrete thing, is arbitrary. Like, there's nothing about the sound tree that inherently means right. tree. But they're both concrete things. Well, the sound you're making is, but it's, it's the same thing with numbers. Like, when I say the number one, the sound I'm making like I'm using a physical process with my concrete body 
to express one, but essentially all I'm doing is making a sound. Like if I, if I made the sound rattle of the, it doesn't mean anything to people because we haven't agreed that it applies to an abstraction, but we've all agreed that one, if you speak English, applies to that abstraction. Like it's just a name for the, you have to have a, a concrete name for the abstraction so that you can communicate it to someone else. Because if you didn't, if you, and that's like, that would be an adaptive feature that we would have to use in order to communicate with people because adaptively we are built to communicate with people. If you didn't have to communicate with people, you wouldn't have to have names for any of those things. Like you can, you can understand what one, two, and three are just by looking at things and not having a name for it. They exist regardless of a physical sound you could make to represent what the idea is that you're talking about. So it's like the abstraction exists on its own, and then you use a concrete process with your concrete body to express the abstraction. And since the people that you're talking to, hopefully, agree on what it means, they, they like take in the concrete thing that you're putting in front of them, and they convert it in their mind into the abstract idea. like an osmosis reverse osmosis thing it's a whole process okay well i'm with you where were we going with that all right so who the heck cares why is it important well the reason that i think this is important is because i feel like the abstract especially it seems like more and more lately is well first of all it's not talked about and that bugs the crap out of me as an english major and also as a human being because it's such an it plays such an important role but no one ever talks about why it's important or why it exists the way that it does or how you can utilize it how you can understand more abstract things like part of it would be critical thinking critical thinking we've we've talked about that before too kind of helps you it helps you organize the abstract ideas see i don't even know if we call them abstractions or ideas now maybe they're the same thing i'm not sure about that but we can stick with abstractions for now it helps you organize abstractions into things that you can express with the concrete sounds that you know how to make um yeah it's like it's like you just delve further into complexity you have you have a concrete way to express the abstraction, which is a word. And so you combine words together to make an abstraction, which is a sentence, like an abstract idea in the form of a sentence so that someone else can understand your idea. And then you can use those ideas, like you get a group of ideas to come up with a concept. And then you challenge those with other ideas and you're just like, you have eventually this giant ball of abstractions that exists within you. And you're constantly butting different parts of it against each other in order to see which ones hold up against reality and which ones don't when you apply them in the concrete world. So the reason that I've taken a big interest in it is because a lot of the stuff that we talk about has to deal with meaning and purpose. And those are, those are extremely abstract ideas. Like not only are they abstract, but 
even in the concrete sense, the words are abstract nouns because they don't apply to something that you can touch. So it's important to understand the distinction in those because when someone is searching for meaning or purpose in their life, what they have to understand is that because they're searching for an abstraction, it's not going to be a physical thing that you discover the same way that you discover other, sorry, concrete thing that you discover the other way you discover concrete things. You can't go out into a forest and discover meaning the same way you discover a tree. It's not the way it works. Like the process is within your mind and the way that you develop abstraction is by utilizing other abstractions, which are ideas. So you confront your ideas with other ideas and you run that process over and over and over again. And at the same time, because the way that you test those abstract ideas isn't in, a, in the vacuum of your mind, but in you can do it to some degree when you imagine things like you imagine, you can imagine scenarios that happen. That's like the creative process, mm -hmm. similar to when you dream, you almost run through a simulation in your head where you say, okay, if I were to interact with the world in this way, with these certain people or these certain features, what would happen? I can imagine if I picked up a knife and I rubbed it against my finger with the blade side touching that it would cut it. I don't have to actually do it to understand that that would happen because I understand the way that a knife works and the way that skin works based on my experiences. So in a similar way, you take the abstractions that you have about what might be meaningful or about what might make your life feel more meaningful and you test it in the concrete world while running those abstract simulations in your head. You know, I think it's useful to do both of those. And like that, doing that is the way by which you can determine things that make your life more meaningful. It's not by, like you can't expect that it's gonna come by either of those alone, I don't think. Because it's such a complex process, I think you have to have both of those components. Um, I don't know if this relates, but this is what I've been thinking about. Um, going back to the physicists. Um, I was heard somewhere. I think it was from, yeah, it was from one of the lectures, uh, one of my classes. Um, the professor was talking about how there, ninety percent of the universe is made up of dark matter, right? Mm -hmm. But it's not verifiable. Dark matter, like it's not. You can't. They don't know what it is. It's not verifiable. It's not measurable. Um. They can't run tests on it. They don't know anything about okay. it. But it's. But all the equations that describe the universe and that work for astrophysicism, astrophysics, astrophysicism, <laughs> astrophysics, don't work without positing that entity. Right. So I don't know if this is exactly the same thing that you're talking about because that's still like a, they're positing the existence of a concrete thing. But I think it relates because it's like, it's like, well, it's like God. I always have to bring God into these podcasts. <laughs> <laughs> but, 
but but maybe it's like that with God useful. for for some people for some people of faith like it's not someone something you can see it's not something that you can measure or verify or run tests on but when you posit that existence it makes thing it makes things work it makes things make sense in in a new way and so so yeah it's like this abstract yeah maybe abstraction isn't the right word for either of those examples i guess it depends on your but like not for dark matter but it but it's like this possibility it's like you posit this possibility in your mind and it only exists in your mind so in that way it is an abstraction as far as you know it only exists in your mind because you can't verify any other way and and then you try living or doing equations if you're an astrophysicist as if that thing were true and if it works out then it's like oh that works out (laughs) right and then you and then you take that into into the way that you view the world and you say okay that works that's the way that i'm going to view the world until that gets proven wrong kind of thing or i come up with something better but i really like that idea of that um that you have to do both that you can't like you can't just get whatever your idea is and then just do things without revisiting your idea and refining it Mm -hmm. and you also just you also can't just think and not do anything in the real world and right. and hope to have meaning. It's kind of like poetry. Everything's poetry. <laughs> but but really it's like you can't just you can't just read a poem for the for the abstract content of what is being said because you have to look at what the concrete things it's doing are right Mm -hmm. and those are going to inform and refine what you think about the abstract content right so it's like two processes going on so like what you were saying about the rhythm, you're probably right. That's more of the concrete side of it. The rhythm and the the organization of the words, the line breaks, the sound, those things would be part of the concrete aspect of it. And then the idea of the poem, that's the, that's the hard part that people, professors and students don't really seem to want to confront, is that the idea of the poem is, is just as important as the technical aspects of how it's written. And you have to have both of those things working together to have, like, a really, really good poem. Like Tintern Abbey. Plug for Tintern Abbey. Everyone check that out. William Wordsworth. It's pretty dope. Something I read lately. It's pretty cool. It's a good example, I think, of both. I don't agree with the idea that he ended up coming up with. But it's just a good example of the combination of concrete things and the abstract ideas. I haven't read that one. Um... 
But it's interesting that you say that, because I feel like my professors have... Well, maybe not professors. I don't know that I've studied that much poetry in university. But, like, in high school, at least, I feel like they definitely emphasized more the content, the abstract content of the poems, and left out all the physical things. And I feel like that was the problem yeah. with studying poetry. And nobody knows how to read poetry because of that, because yeah, you, like, sit down to read it, and you read it through once, and you don't get what it's saying because it's a poem. And you're like, you're like oh, oh, well, it's a poem. I give up. <laughs> Poetry sucks, yeah. you know? Right. Nobody knows how to read a poem. Because I feel like you're yeah. supposed to... I think you're supposed to focus on physical things first. That's how you enjoy a poem. Right. Is you read it through and you feel the rhythm, you hear it, you read it out loud, whatever. And then you read it again. And then you start picking up the abstract things, and yeah, it's like this interaction between the two. Yeah. I think that is a big issue, is that it's it's very, it very clearly deals with abstraction, because it's in a different form than people are used to. So this has been an issue with the... Well, I'm not going to, I'm not going to get into that. But I've talked to people, <laughs> I've talked to people who read poems and yeah, their initial reaction to it is all that they go off of, like their initial intuition about how it makes them feel. They're like, yes, I feel this poem. And I've asked them like, what's it about? And they say, I don't know, but I like it. Like, yeah, you've only, you've only read half the poem. Like you only <laughs> understand a part of it. And there's a reason that it doesn't work as a poem, and there's a reason you don't understand what it is, because one, you don't know, yeah, if you haven't, that is, I've grown into the same problem. I only recently had a professor who was good about going through some of the technical things, and it was actually just a book, a book that we had for the class. I got to read a lot about the technical aspects of poetry, which was really nice. But yeah, like, if you don't know those technical things, you miss out on a ton about the poem. And especially if you think that there is no technical part to poetry and it's just you read it and then however it makes you feel you're like yeah like i vibe with this this is a great poem it's not how it works like that's that's that contributes in my opinion to the destruction of art yeah. because then it's just based on your subjective whim exactly, which is nonsense yeah. like there there is objective value in art <sighs> yeah <laughs> Yeah, I agree. I think that's the worst thing you can do when reading a poem. The worst thing you... Okay, we won't get into that. <laughs> but yeah, I agree. Because... Yeah. I don't know. That's interesting. I don't, I don't know what to make of that either. Of those people who... Because I've run into that too where it's like all off of feeling right which is complete bogus i mean <laughs> you can read you can read uh an amazing poem uh, a masterpiece by someone and not feel anything you know 
Oh yeah, yeah. That's that's exactly what happened to me when I read Tin Turn Tin Turn Abbey the first time. I was like, "What is this crap that we have to read?" And then when I really got into it, read it through a couple times, and I was like, "Oh man, yeah, this has a lot to it." Yeah. But you really do like it's uh, maybe another problem is because it's so short, and and because it's complex, people don't want to delve into it. But yeah, the more you do, some of them just open up and they just keep opening and opening and opening there's so much in them to unpack right i wonder how that relates to well i would say that the process is somewhat similar you can have a really arbitrary understanding of what makes your life meaningful and you know maybe you do get something from it from certain things that you do but if you don't have that combination of understanding where you know how how it uh how to abstractly construct whatever it is that is making you feel as if your life is meaningful and then also how to use that abstraction to interact with the world in a way that perpetuates the meaning and and also proves or disproves it then you're only getting part of the puzzle and until you get both of those things working together i think it it's at least very difficult and maybe impossible to delve into the complexities of it. Because that's the thing, you could look at even short poems, you could look at and you could, like, you could write many, many pages about every aspect of the poem. There's so much complexity, even in that little thing. So you think about something like, what makes your life meaningful? How long could you run into the complexities of that and the different variables and how many things affect it? You could keep going forever. But if you don't utilize both parts of it, then it's hard to even grasp like a menial aspect of it. Yeah, that's true. I really like that. Nice. Yeah, I'm excited about it. <laughs> it makes me feel better about about life. <laughs> it makes me feel it makes me feel more prepared to to go forward and try to figure out more things that I think make life meaningful. Yeah. Well, nice, man. Yeah. Hopefully that makes people feel better with all the, you know, Corona company going crazy. Yeah, so funny. Yeah, freaking hilarious. That, that dead horse hasn't been beaten enough yet. All right, well, there you go, people, then. Um, I think the takeaways for today are um, learn how to read poetry properly, and that will prepare you to find actual meaning in your life. (laughs) That's really all it is. I'm just trying to get people to read poetry. (laughs) Jeez. Yeah, it's, I think it's useful to, to understand that there are two different, I've been calling them planes of reality. I don't know, felt right to me at the time, just based on the abstract thoughts that came into my head. But yeah, you consider that there are two different planes of reality and you interact with them in different ways. The concrete is pretty straightforward. You kick something hard, you're going to hurt your foot. People People understand that through experience, but... That's only half the equation. You gotta you gotta understand that the abstraction is at least as valuable 
as the concrete stuff that you interact with on a day-to-day -day basis. So you got to work on on exercising and experiencing abstract existence in order to better understand the way that it functions and the way that you function. That's my thought. plays an interesting role when you think about religion too because I've been I've been thinking about it did I did I we talked a little bit about um, the different brain hemispheres and how they interact with the way that people conceptualize religion yeah we did a whole podcast on that wasn't that our last episode oh sweet probably I don't remember I yeah I don't remember it was so long ago <laughs> been been forestalled for a couple weeks but um yeah that's good then this will this this won't be coming out of left field then so yeah there's uh just brief recap the very very simply the right side of the hemisphere deals more with exploratory thinking dealing with things that we haven't interacted with before abstractly as well as physically, concretely. Sorry. And then the left hemisphere deals more with grasping. It holds on to ideas about existence that you take to be true. So we talked a little bit about religion, where that comes into play. And then I don't know if we talked about this on the podcast, but privately I mentioned something to you about, like it's, it's interesting that there's a correlation um, within conservatives and religion, like more conservatives believe in, I actually looked at the statistics on this. Shout out to Kendall for challenging me and making me look at the hard numbers. Because <laughs> when I first told her about it, she was like, you don't know. So I had to look into it. But really, what are so, numbers? It's <laughs> <laughs> a good point. This is all abstract. If you ask the, yeah, it's all abstract. Whatever. Anyway. So you looked into the numbers. It's really interesting. Yeah, I looked into the numbers. It's really interesting because the the Christian faiths are all like much higher in the conservative arena. And the reason I choose the political things is because people aren't seem to be more familiar with them. And that's that's like a fairly widespread at least assumption people have that conservatives are more religious or traditionally religious. Liberals, interestingly enough, um they actually dominate in some of the Eastern religions, though. Like, definitely Hindu, maybe Buddhism, Taoism, and I believe in Judaism, there are more, at least in, according to this poll, there are more liberals who are Jewish than there are liberals who are conservative, which is interesting. Um, liberals who are Jewish than conservatives who are Jewish. Yes. Did I mix those up? Did I say it wrong? I think you said liberals who are Jewish, then there are liberals who are conservative. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for clarifying that. Right. More more liberal Jewish people than there are conservative Jewish people. Anywho. Um, and then, yeah, the other reason to look at that connection is because that connection is clear between religion and, and political affiliation, as well as is the association between political affiliation and personality type which can be broken down into which 
this is my conceptual idea. I don't know if this is technically true, but the way that I think about it is one hemisphere of the brain is dominant in each person. So people who are, um, who tend to be more liberal politically, this is also a generalization, doesn't apply to everyone. People who tend to be more liberal tend to be more right brain dominant, more exploratory, open to new things. They want to change things. And then people who tend to be more conservative tend to be more left brain dominant, which makes sense. They want to conserve things. They want to hold on to the way that things are because they know they work. And the idea of changing things that work is a really hard idea for conservatives to, to grasp. That one, that is a more technical idea. But anyway, so we had talked about, um, I think I, I threw out the idea that maybe because people who are more conservative interact, I, I might even use the words concrete and abstract when I was talking about it, so. because they interact with the physical world, the concrete world, in a more concrete and strict way, that they understand that maybe they need to use the abstract part of their brain when dealing with religion, and that's why they tend, in general, to be more religious. Now I'm thinking that it's, I got that mixed up. It makes more sense to me that people who are conservative tend to follow more, like tend to be more religious because of the same process of being um, left brain dominant, that they want a structure around the abstract that actually exists. Like there's no question that the abstract exists. There's no question about it. It's there. It's out. It's out in the universe. And we interact with it constantly. And so it makes sense that someone who's left brain dominant, who wants to like build borders around the way that things are so that they can understand them, would do that with the abstract. And so you get more conservatives subscribing to um, organized religion. Because it makes sense. If you have an abstract world that you know exists, you need some way to conceptualize it. And the way to do that in a way that you can grasp is with religion, like it has very clear explanations for a lot of things that otherwise are really hard to explain. And then you have the liberals who are more exploratory and they don't want to put boxes around the abstract. They want to leave it abstract. And, and when they do put any kind of box around it, it tends to be something like Hinduism or Taoism, which is more about, or like other Eastern religions. It tends to lean more toward like the oneness of all things that exist, which is in and of itself a more abstract idea. Again, all vast generalizations, but it's interesting that there seems to be some kind of correlation with those things. It's crazy, man. That's interesting. Yeah. As far as what that means, I don't know. I mean, I think it means that we're all essentially clueless. I try to be as much of a centrist as possible in pretty much all aspects of my life. And so what that means to me is that it's important to have essentially both aspects. Like you need some concrete understanding of the way that the abstract reality exists, the abstract plane of existence is. And then you also have to be open, like you have to understand that there are things that you don't know and be open to the possibility of changing your ideas about what exists. That's my, that's my thought.
That's my personal belief. Yeah, I think that's I think that's right on. And so we should start a religion that does that. <laughs> You're like the third person to say that to me after I've gone through all this stuff. <laughs> like, oh, you just need to start your own thing then. <laughs> it's a sign, man. That sounds like a sign. That sounds like a clear sign. Um, oh, man. I couldn't handle all that. Jeez. It although it that, see that's the thing though. It would be nice to to have the um what would you call it? Like the community aspect of religion. It's so like the community aspect of any organization is so incredibly valuable. It would be nice to have that, like a centrist organization that dealt with both sides. Like moderately religious and moderately not religious <laughs> or like people who are just questioning it and they're like i don't really know what the deal is but i don't want to take a hard stance yeah that's like the, the problem conf- with... you call it the uh confused society people who don't really know that's the problem with moder moderation though is that nobody nobody gets excited about it nobody's nobody subscribes to that you know right so I think that's nonsense. I'm super excited about it. <laughs> it's like if you were to take extreme the extremes of both sides and you just put them together. Then there's nothing. Then. That's the problem, I think. Well, then there's everything. <laughs> well, it's like... Yeah, I don't know. There's something about the... We've talked about this. I mean, there's something about the dual nature of things. Right. And and you can't eliminate it. And so... So you can't... I don't know. Well, I have an interesting thought about that. At least I think it's interesting. I don't know if it actually is. But... But yeah, you see that in the way that people interact on a global scale, like society in general has people in, you know, whatever, whatever area it is that you're talking about, they have people that are on either side of the extremes. And so they kind of balance each other out. And that's like, like our political system is a really clear one that that you can see. Mm -hmm. There are people on the right, there are people on the left, and they essentially balance each other out kind of. like there's almost an equal number and it's it's crazy that that happens like if that wasn't if that doesn't happen if there isn't an equal number that because they both have utility if they don't balance each other out then i mean obviously by consequence it becomes imbalanced and when that happens like stuff starts to get weird crazy stuff starts to happen that's when you get like fascist dictators or communist dictators i'm going to call them both dictators like it's it's really this we've talked about that too the political spectrum i don't think runs it's not a straight line like it's a circle and so you have the two endpoints which are which are fascism oh my gosh fascism and communist totalitarianism 
and both of them are right next to each other, just like with a gap in between. But they're essentially, they're different sides of politics, but they're essentially the same thing. Like both extremes lead to the same kind of place. So, but I think you can, as an individual, you can hold that balance on your own. Like you can, you can constantly be trying to balance the scales, like accepting both sides simultaneously and then challenging them. And like, I think there is a center ground that you could stand on, or at least that you could, you could at least narrow down from the extremes personally to within, like you can be close enough to the center line that maybe you're just moving a little bit on either side. And in that way, as an individual, you're balanced. And if more people did that on both sides, then it would maintain balance while also increasing each individual person's internal balance. Hmm. Yeah. But in order to not make things crazy, you would have to have people from, and that's the other tricky part. There's so many different arenas that that runs in, not just politics. So you'd have to have people from both sides of all of these different aspects all coming to the center line at relatively the same time in order to not make things crazy. And that seems like a, a difficult thing to do. Well, good luck with that, man. <laughs> Thanks, dude. Yeah, I'm going to start trying to convert people. <laughs> Basically, what that means is I just get to argue with everyone. Just argue against anything that they believe. It doesn't really matter what it is. That's what I do anyway. Just argue for the other side. <laughs> so it's more fun. It's a more fun way to live. Oh, for sure. It's fun to do with yourself, too. It's really hard to do, though. For me, anyway. It's hard to be like, you're wrong about everything. I'm going to tell you why. And then come up with good reasons why. Yeah, that's true. Whew. I covered a lot. Yeah. I'm sweating. Me too. Nice. I also have to pee. <laughs> Dang. Maybe you're sick. Jeez. <laughs> oh, Just kidding. I already know you're sick. But not that sick. Sick-minded. Oh. Yeah, you're a sick individual. <laughs> we should start. Right, well, we should start these podcasts off with a poem reading every time. That's what I think. That's what I've been thinking. Dude, I like that. I think that'd be cool to do. Maybe not for everyone, but maybe for a couple of them, like read poems and get into what the deal with them is. Be cool. See if they're see if they're worthwhile or not. Um, could be fun. Yeah. And could be useful. Could be. Yeah. Yeah, we'll look into that. Stay posted, listeners. Stuff will happen. <laughs> All right, okay. Also, also a uh, surprise, we're changing the name of the podcast. Or we're improving the name of the podcast. Better way of looking at it. So now it's going to be Ignoramus colon... The metaphysical podcast. It'll at least be close to that. Maybe ignoramuses. Ignorami? 
<laughs> Inter- <laughs> I think that'd be the proper Latin plural. <laughs> well, it'd be even better if it wasn't. <laughs> Just change it to the ironic podcast. <laughs> oh, jeez. We'll we'll figure that out, but it'll be something like that. Ignoramus, ignoramuses, ignorami, ignorami. I don't know. We'll figure it out. But yeah, stay tuned. Actually, when we post these podcasts, they'll probably all already say whatever. The ignoramus, the metaphysical <laughs> podcast. Yeah. So don't worry about it. <laughs> all right uh see you later people stay safe stay healthy stop buying the freaking toilet paper